Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a, ple with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat. And the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its neck and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. There's some further instruction about the burnt offering in chapter 6, Leviticus 6, page 84, verse 8. More focus now on the priests. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command Aaron and his sons saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth, on the altar, all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and put his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar, put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, and put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. There's some other mention of the burnt offering in other passages in the Old Testament that I'll also refer to as we're hearing the gospel 
of this passage. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when we read about sacrifices in the Old Testament, it's summer, we think, what are we doing reading about altars and sacrifices and what does this all mean? It feels very distant from us. So it's important to understand the similarities between sacrifices, Old Testament sacrifices, and our prayers today, and our praise today. And then we know why we're listening to the gospel of the sacrifices in the Bible. Both prayers and sacrifices are established, ordained by God, and then described for his covenant children who want to express their thankfulness for all that they believe their Father has done for them. And although believers who offered sacrifices in the Old Testament were expressing their faith in what Christ would do in the future, and Christians who are praying and who are praising God in the New Testament express their thankfulness for what the Son of God has already done, all of us are praising God for the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. The Son of God is always in the center of our worship. The person who approached God in, the, in worship in the Old Testament, and you, the worshiper, in the New Testament, were both following God's instructions. And he calls us to do things so that we might experience the fullness of his grace, what it means to live in a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. And that relationship that you have with God is called a covenant. It was a relationship that was started by the Lord who graciously reached out to sinful human beings and promised that he would be our God and we would be his people. Jeremiah 32, we read that in verse 38. The covenant relationship, your relationship to the, the God of heaven, that's behind everything that we as believers do, everything that we say, everything that we think, and it's this relationship that our Lord Jesus Christ restored when he fulfilled the burnt offering. The burnt offering is about living in a covenant relationship with your heavenly Father. And although there are no longer any bulls, rams, sheep, turtle doves, pigeons placed on an altar here in the church auditorium, that ongoing fellowship with God that was promised to the church and the burnt offering that continues the lives of believers today through the work of Jesus Christ. A lot of people think that Christ is only helpful for us today because he died on a cross for our sins. And so they, when they read about the sacrifices, they don't get any further than the altar, than that blood of the burnt offering. And what happens is we often kind of combine all the sacrifices in the Old Testament with one sentence, it's fulfilled when Christ died on a cross. But when we look closer at the sacrifices, we will see that there's a lot more 
to Christ's work than just his death on the cross. This is the gospel I preach to you this morning. Christ fulfills the burnt offering as an expression of our love for God. We'll see this in his childlike trust, his complete dedication, and his constant worship. It's also, we could see in our own lives as we fulfill, we live in the fulfillment of the burnt offering. So we look at the instructions and we draw out some of the themes that come through these instructions about the burnt offerings. And we'll see that a major point of all that we read is that in the instructions concerning the burnt offerings, the Lord ensured that everybody who wanted the Lord to be the center of their lives was able to come into his presence, come into his open arms. And many of the burnt offerings were voluntary expressions of thankfulness. Somebody had been healed, he went and was so thankful to the Lord, he went and offered a burnt offering. Or a child was born, he went into the presence of the Lord with a burnt offering. Or they made a, a vow, and the, and the Lord kept or gave them what they requested, and they responded with a burnt offering voluntarily. The burnt offering was an expression of love for the Lord. And so he wanted everybody to be able to come before him. He wanted his children to show that they were trusting in him. And to show this by doing something. They had to leave their homes, we see in verse 3, and then they had to come to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They had to meet with the Holy Lord. And by instructing the people to bring unblemished males... Unblemished means he didn't want the blind animals or the lame or man looked. He says, well, I don't need that anyways. I'll just bring that to the Lord. The Lord wanted unblemished males. He's showing that his children can express their trust in him by giving something that was valuable to themselves. And so the animals that are listed are domestic animals, animals that somebody owned, that they, they kept near to them. And so the Lord said he would accept these domestic animals that matched the economic situation of every person. The bull. Not everybody could afford a bull, but the rich could. The bull would be a a big offering. It's like giving a tractor. The ram or the sheep would be a large gift for a middle-class Israelite equal to several meals. This food offering would be giving the Lord several meals worth. The birds, the turtle doves and the pigeons, they were valuable to the poor who who would be able to keep them. And then when they came with these animals of value to them, depending on their economic level, they would lay their hand upon the animal. And so they were telling God, that that animal that was so valuable to them was being given over to the Lord, just like they wanted to entrust their lives to the Lord. And then they had to wash. You see all the, Isra- the worshiper coming into the presence of the Lord, had to do a lot of things, cutting up the animal, flaying it. That means taking off the, the skin. They had to wash the entrails. Entrails are just the insides of an animal. And the legs had to be washed. 
The believer recognized he was coming into the, the presence of a holy God. He had to take off all the unclean parts, the partially digested food, the excrement that was still on the animal. And he removed it all. He, he said, I want to be given completely to the Lord and I want to be clean in the Lord's sight, pleasing in the Lord's sight. These instructions for the burnt offering teach the church of all ages that the Lord wants his children to do what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. He, he was probably even referring to the burnt offering when he says, and you know this text, he says, everyone should give as they decided to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully and out of sincere love for the Lord. You can read that in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. The Lord wants his children to trust him completely, to enjoy being his children, to look forward to, to coming into the presence of the Lord, to savor his love, to thank him with our songs and prayers and financial offerings. However, since God's outpouring of grace is not dependent on our desire for this grace, God also established the burnt offering as a part of the daily, regular worship. God knows that his children tend to lack thankfulness because we don't always revere him as a holy God. And so rather than waiting for his children to come around to him with a voluntary offering, a voluntary prayer, or a voluntary song of praise, he commanded the children to express their childlike trust on many occasions. You could really see the power of our sinful nature Redeemed by God, by grace, living in this relationship, the Lord still needs to command us to come to him in our thanksgiving. So God commanded many burnt offerings. He employed the priests to work day and night on the task of reminding the people of his covenant love through the burnt offerings. We read about that a little bit in chapter 1 and chapter 6. Every morning, every evening, the priest was there with the burnt offerings, two extra lambs on the Sabbath. The priests were there stoking the fire, laying wood on the altar, arranging pieces of meat, preparing birds, throwing blood on the altar. It was a lot of work. Cleaning up after, God also wanted his covenant love to be the theme of all the feasts. So burnt offerings were commanded every morning, every evening. And then if you look into the Old Testament, you see all the feasts as well. You won't remember this, but uh, you'll get a sense of how many feasts as I read through this. The first day of each month, two bowls, one ram, seven lambs. Every day of the feast of the Passover, the feast of the weeks, the feast of the trumpets, the Feast of Booths. Then they had to offer 13 bulls, 2 rams, 14 male lambs, over and over again. And then every purification rite, there was a burnt offering as well. The point is, every time that believers came into the tent of meeting, 
they would see that God gave them a way into his presence. The Lord loved them. He gave the priests so that they could always come to him. The message was loud and clear. God is our God, and we are his people. And if we compare what the Lord revealed to us about Christ's work and all that we read about the burnt offering, we can see that Christ fulfilled every part of the burnt offering. He was the true worshiper who really desired to walk in fellowship with God. He was the true priest who served as the mediator between God and man. He was the truly unblemished male sacrifice that was completely dedicated to God in his childlike trust. He drew near to God for all sinners. He expressed perfect childlike trust. You know what he said on the cross. He committed his spirit into the hands of his Father in heaven. In the same way that the burnt offering provided a way for believers to, to express their faith in God and so receive the blessing of the covenant, also Jesus Christ says, I am the way. He is the true and the living way for everyone who believes in him. When we lay our hand on Christ by believing on him by true faith, we identify ourselves with, with Christ. We say, his lot is our lot. His work is my work. And so God receives everyone who believes in Jesus Christ into this fellowship at peace, one with him. And the promise of the gospel for the church today is that just as the burnt offering declared to the world, that any fallen creature, whatever, however wealthy they were, wherever they lived, any fallen creature is able to approach God through the mediator if they want to. So also today, everybody can come to God through Jesus Christ. It's the gospel we proclaim to the world. There's nothing to stand in the way of entering into the presence of God. There's nothing that prevents you from, from praying to the Lord, from praising him as your sovereign creator because God sent his son to keep that way into his presence open. Jesus Christ fulfilled the burnt offering. You can always express your trust in Jesus Christ and feel the embrace of your heavenly father. God sees that undivided love, that complete dedication. And in order that we do not blur the message of each of the different sacrifices in the Old Testament, we focus on some of the distinct, unique characteristics of each one. And it's helpful to understand then that the main focus of the burnt offering was that the animal was completely burned up. No other sacrifice had that. Only the burnt offering was completely burnt up, except for the skin, which was taken off and given to the priest. This defining 
feature of the of burning the entire animal and making it all go up in smoke. It was put right into the name of the sacrifice. This, the burnt offering in the Old Testament, when they were reading it, it was just referred to as the one that goes all up in smoke. And although there was an element of making atonement with blood on the altar, we saw that in verse 4, and that element reminded the believer that he was coming into the presence of a holy God. The atonement mentioned in verse 4 was not related to particular sins that were committed. But that atonement is referring to the failure of God's covenant children to completely dedicate their lives to the Lord. The burnt offering was given to God, not to seek God's pardon in the first place, but to seek God's pleasure. Worshippers were recognizing that their commitment to the Lord was partial at best, and they were confessing this and renewing themselves with a complete dedication to the Lord. They wanted to serve the Lord with their heart and their soul and their mind and their strength. Well, the Lord makes it very clear that this complete dedication to God in the covenant relationship is a privilege for every believer. Sometimes we think it's about us. But if you look at verse 4, it talks about the sacrifice being accepted for him to make atonement, even if it was a voluntary gift. That means God was not obliged to receive the gift. God is not obligated to receive our gifts just because we bring them to him. Even when people came to God with their spontaneous gifts, the priests were there to ensure that the proper procedures were being followed, that the gift was according to the regulations that God had given. And we confess the same thing about our prayers. In Lord's Day 45, of the Heidelberg Catechism, we ask, what belongs to a prayer that is pleasing to God, accepted by God and pleasing to Him? Well, like our prayers today, the burnt offerings were not a magical incantation, a magical formula that God's people could use to manipulate the Lord so He would be obliged to do anything. The holy God is not a needy beggar who can take what he can get. But the worshiper is the needy beggar. The sacrifices, like your prayers, they're not necessary for God's sake, but they're necessary for us to teach us about God, to show us the hope of the gospel. And when God's Spirit is in our hearts, we recognized how privileged we are to be in his presence, to be his children. And he wants us to show this joy with an undivided heart. Jeremiah, that we read, the Lord reveals that he gives his covenant children one heart and one way, that they may fear him forever for their own good, and the good of their children after them. Well, the Lord Jesus showed us what this looked like. When he fulfilled the burnt offering 
with his complete dedication to the kingdom of God. He fulfilled the burnt offering with his righteousness that was perfect as an, as an Israelite's righteousness should be. He perfectly desired to walk with the Lord. He perfectly desired to give his whole life to the Lord. He was obedient to the will of his Father even unto death. And gave himself up as a fragrant offering. Well, in all this, our Lord Jesus is showing us what the fulfillment of the burnt offering looks like and what our life of thankfulness looks like. He's showing us what it means to have no other gods before me, the first commandment. He's showing us what it looks like to be completely content with our God, our covenant God and Father, like we read in the 10th commandment. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we share in his righteousness. He makes us want to, to give our whole life to the Lord. As Jesus said to the scribe in Mark 12 that we read together, the desire to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, that's exactly what the burnt offerings were pointing to. The Lord is pleased to accept the worship of believers who come to him with an undivided heart. So what does that mean for you? What does an undivided heart look like? What does complete dedication to the Lord look like? Well, if we keep looking at Leviticus 1 and Leviticus 6, we can see that people show they are completely dedicated to the Lord by not dividing up the so-called religious life from your daily activities. In chapter 6, the Lord told the priests to continue wearing their priestly linen even when they did the menial task of, of taking the ashes on the altar and putting them beside. The message is that everything we do glorifies God. Everything we do, even the menial tasks for the glory of God and his kingdom is important, has dignity. That's the priests doing menial tasks while the Israelite laborer as well was always welcome to come before the Lord in his temple, to come before him and thank him for his grace with burnt offerings. Believers could always experience that God was walking with them through the milestones of their life. And so when a baby was born, God's people knew that their father in heaven was the giver of life. And they went and they thanked him. When a person was healed, the healer, the heavenly healer, was thanked with an offering at personal cost to the family. When they were purified from uncleanness, uh, they came into the presence of the Lord. The Lord's arms were always open to receive his children because he loves to see them rejoicing in his love. And when our whole heart is dedicated to the Lord, we don't separate faith from the rest of life. We worship him when we are sitting here in the church building, but also when we're cooking another meal for our children. We worship him not just by giving our contributions to the church, but also with 
voluntary offerings that go beyond the expectations by constantly using our minds, our hearts, our hands in focused labor in the world around us. Christians don't keep their faith at arm's length when they're in the comfort of their homes or when they're on holidays or, or when they're working or studying in a secular environment. Undivided hearts. Fulfilling the burnt offering is to walk with the Lord continually. Psalm 86 says it. We're going to sing it after. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Leviticus 6, verses 9 to 13. The Lord commanded the priests three times that they must keep the fire burning on the altar continually, even throughout the night. And when you consider further that every, uh, that every year the prescribed number of animals to be offered up on the altar was 113 young bulls, 32 rams, and 1,086 lambs. And that the faithful Israelite offered up many more animals voluntarily, you can see that this burnt offering was central to the life of the covenant child in the Old Testament. They had constant reminders of the presence of the Lord. They were covenant children. It was the most important sacrifice of every feast except for the Day of Atonement. God, God's people could see how much he loved to be among them. All these burnt offerings served as a constant reminder that giving our hearts to God is not part-time work. It's not something that sincere believers just do from time to time, but giving our lives to the Lord is a constant service. We read of a continual fire, continual fire of the burnt offering day and night week after week after week, month after month, year after year, the fire burned in their midst. It's a very important distinguishing characteristic that made the burnt offering look a lot different than the other offerings. You see, when the animal was offered up as a sin offering, then it paid for the sins of the worshiper once for all. Fire went up, animal offered, fire down deed is done. Sins are paid for. And in fact, it would show a lack of trust to continually offer sacrifices for sins that God had already forgiven. But since the burnt offering replaced partial commitment with complete dedication and thanksgiving, it was fitting that it would be a continual fire, constant communication with your heavenly Father. That's what it means to be a covenant child. Constant communication is something that sincere believers would never want to take a break from doing. You could think of the same in your marriage relationship. That constant communication is a, is a fundamental part of your relationship. Once in a while you have to deal with a sin. You talk about it. 
you deal with it, it's done. But that communication has to continue day and night throughout your relationship. Well, the same for us as God's covenant children. When Jesus came, he paid for our sins once and for all, the fulfillment of the sin offering. But he also returned to the Father, and there he is continually interceding for us before the Father. He is continually holding the door open, if I could use that picture, holding the door open into the presence of the Father. That's the work of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the burnt offering. We don't need to take holidays from praying. The Lord Jesus never slumbers or sleeps. He continually intercedes for us before the Father. That continual fire of the burnt offering was a symbol of God's continual presence with the people. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he asked and the Spirit was sent down to the church to dwell with us forever in our hearts. And the symbol of that presence was fire. In Acts 2, verse 3, the day of Pentecost. The Lord Jesus has fulfilled the burnt offering. In him we have constant access to the Lord. And the Lord is continually present within our hearts and our lives. In a way, we could say that the continual fire of the altar of burnt offering is kindled in our very heart. You can feel, see his presence. Nice way to live your life. Walking with the continual fire of the Lord's presence within us. He has provided a way to come into his presence. And then we think about that display text. When you walked in, you saw it on the wall here. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. The sufficiency, the abundance of God's grace allows us to express our love to him in all things, at all times, and abounding in every good work. Well, can you think about what that looks like in your life? All things, all times, every good work. That's the fulfillment of the burnt offering. And we could see how that long-standing tradition of regular Bible reading, regular prayer often combined with our, our meal times <coughs> that helps us to be deliberate by being guided by the Spirit on a continual basis, that continual fire in your life. Our faithful covenant God will accept the prayers and the praise that we offer up in Jesus' name. He delights in the songs of our hearts. He loves to see the glowing fire of love in our hearts. Let's walk through the way opened up in Jesus Christ who fulfilled the burnt offering for us and in our place. Amen.